Mark chapter 12, <clears throat> I wanted to just share this with you. We're talking about the body of Christ and <clears throat> the church of Jesus, which is the Bible says it is a new man. It is, a, it, it is represented like a man that's in the earth, like a human man that's in the earth. But this man is unique from any man that's ever lived here. We're, we're, we're the most unique thing that has ever walked upon the face of the earth. It's never been here before. Until the resurrection of Jesus Christ when the Lord was able to bring together because of the blood of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. And out of those two make one new man. The Bible also represents the church as a temple that is built unto the Lord. Stone upon stone, fitly joined together for the purpose of being the habitation of God by the Spirit of God. It is this, now I want you to listen to me, it is this man that is on a mission for God. It is not some missionary that's willing to make a sacrifice and go out on the mission field. It's not a pastor that may be standing in a pulpit appealing for people to give financially so that we can continue another week or another month doing the work of God. This is all of us. We're all a part of this. We all have an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. And it is the call of God upon our life so that we will be able to see the fame of Jesus Christ in our generation. I just bring to your attention the fact that our world right now appears to be lost to the powers of darkness. It seems as though the powers of darkness are increasing. It seems as though deception is increasing. It seems as though the spirit of Antichrist is increasing. Jesus warned us that men, their hearts would wax cold, that their love would grow cold, that men in the last days would be more interested in their selves than they are in God. They would be more interested in their own pleasure than they are the pleasure of God. And I believe that this is clearly evidenced in the way Christians give of their tithes and offerings. You can sing all the songs you want to sing. You can sing the hymns that you want to sing. You can gripe about the songs that you don't like. But when the rubber meets the road, it is the measure of your giving that speaks of where your heart is. And are we a, a church age today, a group of Christians today, who fall into Paul's prophetic warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that we are selfish and that we love ourselves more than we love God. And we're more interested in our own endeavors than we are in the endeavor of God. We, we, we become disturbed and upset when we hear modern preachers today not preaching the word of God. And not preaching the truth of God. But I ask you the question, how many of us today are living by the word of God through faith and the grace of God? How many of us allow the word of God to direct our life? We have no right to complain about a particular preacher or prophet who is biblically illiterate or out of the bounds of the scriptures if we're not living or trying to live or desiring to live by the word of God ourselves. And nothing brings a greater reality of this than our giving. Our tithes and our offerings. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And yet for many people in the church world today, 
their giving is not directed by the Holy Spirit. Their giving is not directed by the Word of God, but by our own personal opinions and our own personal desires. We choose what we do with what we have because we tend to view our finances as that which belongs to me. And it is true, you can do with it whatever you want. And God will allow you to do with it whatever you want. But you have to take into consideration that there are consequences with what you do with it. And this is not a legalistic manipulation for people's money. God's going to do what God wants to do. He's going to find a people to bless so that he's able to do what he wants to do. But this is a relationship of grace where God will open up grace to your life. And it's not your ability to buy something from God, to buy health from God, or to buy finances from God. If I give a dollar, God's going to give me ten. Or if I give a hundred dollars, God's going to give me a thousand back, like prosperity preachers may try to manipulate the people. It is a relationship of grace with God where God is our source. And he promises to open the windows of heaven upon our life and to enrich every aspect of our life. And so I I just want to go into the word for us to be able to see this today. In Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read verse 41. And and this is very interesting. I think it kind of cuts at some of the religion that maybe we have in our minds in regards to giving. It says in verse 41 that Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. In other words, in the opinion of men, they gave a lot of money. And this is recognized. And there came a certain poor widow And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. This is just a small amount of money. And we'll call it two cents. And he called to him his disciples and he said to them, Verily I say to you that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Even though they gave much, this poor widow gave more. And that's a beautiful thing because God is not assessing your giving, your tithes and your offerings based upon the amount that you give, but obviously the sacrifice by which you give. And another thing that it shows us in this story that everybody, every single person can give something. Because it's not the amount that might be given. And men may honor that. If somebody were to give $100,000, maybe, you know, we would dedicate a chair to them, you know, and just honor that. And somebody never has that much money to give. And the most they ever give is, is $5 or $10. And men applauded the one who seemed to give so much, but it was not a sacrifice for them to give it. It was just their tithe. But maybe in heaven, that person who was just faithful in giving sacrificially that $5, that $10, because that's what they prospered. In heaven, they're honored and they're extolled because of their giving. I want you to understand this as well, 
<clears throat> the giving that we find in the days of Jesus was not private. It was not a private moment. It was not something that, that was just done between you and God. It was a display of worship. They were watching. Jesus sat over against the treasury. And he was watching the people put their money into the treasury or into the basket. And not only was Jesus watching this, but, 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 but consider this. When this widow came up, Jesus called to his Peter, John, Matthew, get over here. Come here. Look at this. Look what she, I mean, he drew attention. What, what if Jesus stood in the room today when you had the opportunity to give your tithes and your offerings? And Jesus just suddenly said, hey, everybody stop. I want you to see what Simon did. Look what Simon did today. And, and single, you would, so, not you, but so many people in religion would be so offended by that. We would, so, we would be so offended because we think, you know, this is a private matter. My money's a private matter. My giving is a private matter. Not in Jesus' world. It was very public. And Jesus brought attention to it. And it was very obvious that even when the wealthy people gave, they gave much. It was a demonstration of worship, and this widow was certainly worshiping God. There are over 2,000 verses that are devoted to our giving. One out of four verses in Luke is, And Jesus spoke more on giving than he did heaven and hell combined. And there's a reason for that. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And when, when heaven and the kingdom of God is truly your treasure... It is going to be demonstrated in the way that we give. You can't fake this. You can fake a lot of things. You can, you can fake your excitement. You can fake your praise. You can fake your love. You can sing the hymns. You can do some labor, do some work. You can make a contribution. Hey, I'm going to help the FNT Academy out. Or I'm going to help this family out. Or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to join the church. And we can fake all of those things. All of those things can be done with selfish interest. But the consistent giving of our offerings to God is not faked. You either do it with the proper motive or you don't. And that is always combined with worship. David said when somebody was there to give to David the opportunity to worship God. And said to David, I'm going to give you this field so you can worship God here. David said, you will not. I will not worship God with that that didn't cost me anything. I will pay for this. I will buy this field. It will cost me something. And I will worship God. How many of you enjoy the worship of God. Because other people in this church paid for your ability to come in here and sit in a comfortable chair. And enjoy air conditioning in South Louisiana in the middle of summer. But you don't contribute. It doesn't cost you anything. And so you're worshiping God with no sacrifice at all on your part. I know that's cutting. I know that's direct. It's just the only way I know how to be. And so I just want us to understand that. And I want you to bring you back to these questions just very quickly that I mentioned at the end yet last week. 
Do you view your money as your rightful recompense or do you view it as God's blessing? Does pleasure and preference rule your giving or does the Bible and the Holy Spirit? Do you decide when, where, and how to give or does the Bible and the Holy Spirit? Do you regularly practice your tithes, which is just means 10%, and offerings, which is above that, every time you're, you've prospered, as the Lord has prospered you. And remember, there are four types of people in the Bible. There's, there's the Nabals, who, who consider the fact that this is mine, I, I, I earned this, I worked hard for it, it's all of mine. And I'm not going to do anything with my money that I don't want to do. And then there are the Abigails. Who realized her husband Nabal was a fool. And they were about to quickly fall under the judgment of David. So she couldn't take his stuff. But what he allowed her to have. She took a portion of that. And offered it to David. Because she understood that David and his men. Had with the risk of their own life protected them. From the Philistine enemies that would have raided their farm and their possessions. And then there's Cain. Cain's giving is, you know, I know God wants an offering. And I'm going to bring God an offering. But I'm going to bring God the offering that I want to give him. And God needs to be satisfied with that. Because that's what I'm going to give him. And then there's the giving like Mary. When she anointed the body of Jesus with her precious perfume. She gave all she could before she had to give it. Because right after the death of Jesus, she wouldn't have been able to anoint him with that. The other women wanted to. They came to the tomb on the third day, but they weren't able to give their worship to Jesus that day. But Mary did it beforehand. And that's the type of people that say, you know, one day I'm going to start giving to God. One day I'm going to be in a better situation where I will be able to really give my tithes and offering. That day will never come. It's not a day that you're waiting for. It's a faith that you need to be able to give to God. So I'm going to give you just about five points here on how to give. According to the scriptures on how to give. And I want us to read the scriptures together. And the first thing that I would say is this, that... Our giving needs to be done with purpose. It needs to be done with purpose. It needs to be done in faith. And that purpose is faith. You need to know why you're doing it. You, you need to understand the relationship that you have with God in your giving. And it's not to appease God. And it's not to say, here, I gave you some money and I expect you to give me back some money. It's not that kind of giving. It's not buying something from God. But it's a relationship with God. And it's an understanding that you have with God. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy says this, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers. God gives you the power to get wealth. God gives you your health. God could take that health away from you. There was a great king in Babylon who enjoyed great prosperity and power. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And the pride that entered his heart was so great that God struck him with insanity. Your mind 
that you have that gives you the ability to think and remember and de- be able to do the job that you do, that's been given to you from God. He could take that away. And you're not buying it for another week. God, give me another week of sanity. You know, our churches would be packed with givers because we're giving billions of dollars to the psychological community and drug community to give us another week of sanity. But God will give all of that to us in the relationship of grace. So here are the scriptures. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this scripture is... Uh, it's a beautiful scripture about our relationship with God and grace. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I, I would like for us to begin in verse in verse 9, if you will. Let's go to verse 7. Who goes to warfare any time at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses. Now this, this is coming from the law, but the Apostle Paul is, is by mentioning this, and certainly Paul was the minister of grace, the Apostle Paul is taking something that was established in the law, and he's continuing it into the age of grace. And he says this, Say I these things as a man, or does the law not also say it? For it is written in verse 9 in the law of Moses that you should not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Does God take care for oxen? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope. And he that threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Here's the summation of it. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? In other words, Paul is saying that there are those that God has chosen and set apart to be the ministers of his word and to the ministers of his church. Ephesians chapter 4 says that when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. And these gifts that he gave to men, specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, is what we call the fivefold ministry. The apostle, the prophets, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist. And these are men that God has chosen and set them apart to work and minister within the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to establish their faith, to take care of them, and to make sure they're okay. And so Paul is saying that these people who minister spiritual things to you, is it not right that they should expect carnal things back from you? This is the relationship. And so I say to you in the purpose of our giving that we should be aware And we should celebrate the fact that when we are given the opportunity to give tithes and offerings, we are contributing to the ability to continue to allow the men that God has set apart to continue to labor within the church without distraction. That they're able to devote themselves to this and devote themselves to the body of Christ. So so giving should go to those who minister spiritual things to us. 
One of the things that we practice in the church is when we have guest speakers come. We desire with all of our heart to give you the opportunity to give a love offering. Because you are receiving directly a spiritual benefit from their life as they're ministering to you the word of God. And because they are giving us spiritual things, it is only right for me as a pastor to afford you the opportunity to give carnal things back to them. These carnal things are not sinful. These carnal things are the means by which they buy an airplane ticket to come here. These carnal things are the means by which they're able to pay their house note or their electric bill or be able to feed their wife or be able to feed their children. This is right. This is appropriate. This is the will of God that is expressed to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 through verse 11. And in 1 Timothy, I just want to read this again. He tells us in chapter 5 verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. And again, that's what we read in 1 Corinthians and Paul's referring to it again. And the laborer is worthy of his hire. And so if there are those elders, those ministers that are ministering the word of God and the doctrine of God, and they do it very well, if you would just naturally give whatever it is that you're going to give, Paul actually says, why don't you consider doubling that if they're doing a good job with it? Why don't you think about doubling it in that? They should be counted worthy of that double honor. Because there are those who may dedicate themselves to this ministry much more than others might. And if they do, they should be honored for that. In Romans chapter 10, I want you to read this. I'm talking about the purpose of our giving. And so in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul makes this appeal. And he's talking about the gospel in verse 13. And he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so this scripture is very clear. Paul says this, that there are people in our world that would love to be saved. They would love to know Jesus, but they don't have access to him. They don't know about him. How are they going to know about him unless somebody goes to them and preaches And how are they going to go preach to them unless there is a people who are willing to send them? And the people who send are as important and necessary as the preachers who go. Isn't that beautiful? We all get the same reward. And so I may not have the opportunity to go to Nepal, but very shortly Noah Middleton is going to Nepal. And if I can help send him, then whatever happens in a godly way in Nepal through his ministry, if the church is edified, 
If a minister who's about to quit decides not to quit, if somebody is born again, then Noah himself does not reap that reward in heaven. But I also take part in that reward in heaven because I made it possible for him to go. This is beautiful. It's beautiful if you have an eternal mindset. It's oppressive to you if all that you care about is your money and life on earth. That's, that, it's just not exciting to you. But if, if you're of an eternal mindset, it's actually very beautiful what God gives us. Another scripture is in, is in Galatians 6, and this is very important. I want you to read this with me. In Galatians chapter 6, the purpose of our giving. In Galatians 6, he says, and I'm going to pick up in verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teaches in all good things. And again, that's what Paul said to Timothy, right? If there's an elder who's doing a great job in the ministry of the word and doctrine, let him be counted worthy of double honor. Don't muzzle the ox. Give back to him natural things or carnal things if he's given you spiritual things. And so this is important. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teaches in all good things. And be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. And so I just go back to verses 6 and 7. Those that are taught or teach us in the word, communicate good things back to them. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked whatever a man sows, he reaps. Why didn't Paul have his own luxury boat at the first century for his many missionary journeys and travels? Why is it that there are some popular international ministers today who not have just one luxury jet, but they have multiple luxury jets. How do they have that? How do they own these things and possess these things if it's not from the people who give to them? Where was the popularity of David Wilkerson or B.H. Clendenin or Charles Greenaway for that matter? The, the multitude of people that, that had things to give did not give to them. That's why their ministry did not affect the world to the degree that maybe some false teacher manipulating people for money has increased himself in the world living in luxury mansions with a fleet of private jets to do, because people give to that. If people didn't give to that, and, and why are these types of teachers have such access on our televisions and our radio that they're able to buy up all of the airtime and they don't teach a true and sound gospel? How is it that they get to do that? And why are these people multiplying on our televisions and our TVs and our bookstores rather than those who preach a true gospel, a true word? that speaks to our generation and our society, like a Daryl Turner, 
Why, 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 why isn't he getting it? Because we sow to the flesh. And that's what we reap. And that's why he says, don't be mocked. And so we need to be careful that we make an investment of our money and our giving. We need to make an investment in that which is spiritual and that which is good so that those things can increase in our generation and not these things that are flaky and lack the integrity of God and his word. We would rather those things not increase. So what we sow to, that's what we're going to reap. Now, obviously, for all of us here, we should not wonder where we should give. This should be the place that you sow into First New Testament church. If you don't believe this place is spiritual, you shouldn't be here. But if you believe that this is a spiritual house, that the word of God is taught, that the people are striving to walk after God in grace, then you should contribute and sow so that the influence of this place can enlarge itself and have a greater influence and a greater growth in our community. Right? And that's what Galatians chapter 6 says. And then I want you to understand when should I give? And that is answered in 1 Corinthians in chapter uh, 16. 1 Corinthians 16 says this in verses 1 through 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come. The first, this, this is the first day of the week, Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rose. And so Paul says our giving should be systematically. This is the order that he gave the churches in Galatia. He's repeating this order to the Corinthians. And he said this. As God has pro- pro- prospered you this past week. Then on the first day of the week. You should give out of that. As God has prospered, if God's prospered you nothing, well, then you wouldn't be expected to give anything. But if God has prospered you this week, then you should give on the first day of the week. That should be the habit. You, you, it's not a law. You, you may not do it on the first day of the week. You might do it twice a month because sometimes people get paid twice a month or once a month. But the point is there ought to be some type of systematic giving our discipline, our practice in your faith so that you are able to have integrity with the stewardship of what God has given you because it's his and you have stewardship of that. The third thing is this, where do I give? Where do I give? And I want to read this in Malachi. And when you're turning there, this is the last book of the Old Testament. And when you're turning there, I would like to point out to you that there are basically three types of giving. There's tithes, offerings, and alms. And almsgiving is that type of giving that is private. Your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Maybe there's somebody in the church, you know, that has a need and 
you just feel an urgency of God to bless them. So maybe you put it in an envelope and you give it to one of the ushers and you say to the ushers, look, would you just give this to so-and-so? And, and, and that's it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I don't care for a tax return. I just want to bless this person. It's, a, it's anonymous and so forth. And that's almsgiving. And offerings are those givings that we give beyond our tithes. And tithe, just by definition, is 10%. So in Malachi chapter 3, which I'm sure you've heard and are familiar with, he says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. And so this is the point. And I I want to acknowledge this point that I believe our giving should be the storehouse. That's where we bring our tithes. If you made $10, then your tithe is a dollar. It is not for you. If God's the Lord of your life and you're following the Bible and you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, it's not your decision where you give your tithe. Now, if you make 10 and you get your tithes a dollar, you're not going to really struggle over that too much as to where you give the dollar. You'll just put it in the offering plate when it's passed around. But if you made a million dollars and your tithe is a hundred dollars, now you enter into it. You're mining that this is a lot of money. And so maybe I should give a little bit here and maybe I should give a little bit there. And because, you know, they don't need all the, well, you, you and I have no idea of what God may require of us that coming month. We have no idea how God blessed you. In order for you to put your tithe into the storehouse. Because maybe a family in our church is about to fall apart. And have a tremendous need that we could have met. But now we can't meet it. Because you by your own decision. And your own opinion decided what to do. With what you thought was so much money. But I take you back to Jesus sitting at the treasury. It's only 10%. That's all he sees. It's only 10%. And I'm, I'm, I'm testing your stewardship to see if you're going to be faithful with what I gave you. And if you're faithful with this, I'll do incredible things for you. And, and Paul builds on this in 2 Corinthians about how God, if we give, will open up the storehouses of heaven to us as well. I want you to understand this is important in our giving and how we should give. A few, maybe a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, we had, I was not here that night, but we had a particular couple visit our church. They came into our church. They were, um, just very appealing. They were, they were, they were somewhat aggressive and they went around to people and they told people that we have this ministry in town. We didn't know them and the people in the church didn't know them. But we have this ministry in town and we go out on the streets and we help people and we do all of this and we do all of that. And, 
you know, we're in town and we're in Baton Rouge right now. And, and so we're just trying to get a place to stay tonight. We've got some ministry on the streets this week. Would you help us? And many people gave them money. They were frauds. I was asked to meet with them the following Tuesday. I met with them. They don't preach the gospel. They don't even know the gospel. They're living together. They're in sin. They've abandoned their original spouses. And many people in our church gave them money. What should you have done? Give it to the storehouse. And then allow the pastors to examine these people who are asking for gifts. To make sure they're legitimate. And if they are, we will help them. And, and, and so, it, it's, it, you can give an alms if you will. But if you will allow the, the, the body of Christ to function the way God would intend it to be, then there wouldn't be wasted money. But it could be very profitable to the things of God. Another thing too is, is God would, or, or the devil would love to tie you up with vows. I would, I would remind you of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 when it says, when you go to the house of God, shut your mouth. Because it's going to play on your emotions. There, there may be a video that you see today that plays on your emotions and you want to give your house for it. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this, if you make a vow, pay it because God does not take pleasure in the, in the promises of fools. So it's better to say nothing. It's better to not make any promises. And then as you're able, you contribute and you give and you help. And the safe thing is, is to give. But the devil would love to tie you up with vows. Toy with your emotions. Give to this. Well, I promise to give to them and I promise to do that. The, the offering should go to the storehouse. The storehouse is where people go to get their food. It's where people go to get their supplies. It's a common place. Everybody knows about it. This is the storehouse. And so it's important. And so we support the people through the church. We support missionaries through the church. Unless you have other missionaries that are outside of the church, which is absolutely fine for you to support. But if there are missionaries within our church, let, let's just say, for example, um, let, let's just say, for example, there are two people that are desiring this particular missions effort. Both of them are wonderful people. Both of them are highly extolled and valued in our church. And they both need to do this mission outreach. They both need $3,000, which is a total of $6,000. They come to the church and they say to the church, Pastor Lee, We've got this mission project. In order for us to accomplish it, we really need the church to get behind us with $3,000. And we're like, okay, thank you for bringing that to us. We're going to work with you. We're going to pray with you. We're going to trust the church to be able to give that money because you're asking me for $3,000 and somebody else is over here asking me for $3,000. That's just as important. And so we're going to trust the Lord and ask the Lord for help to show us what to do. And in the meantime, one of you goes up to that particular person and writes them a check for $3,000. We don't know that you did that. They've got the money that they need. But we don't know that. 
because you gave it to them directly. And so now we're sitting back and we're saying, you know what? We need $6,000 for missions. So-and-so needs three and this person needs three. We want to help them both. We don't want to leave anyone out. But you know what? All we've got is $3,000 to give out of missions. So sadly, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to give you $1,500 and we're going to have to give you $1,500. They both fall short. Except for this particular person you gave a $3,000 check to. Now they have $4,500. And they're able to go do their mission. But the other person has $1,500. And they have to say to the mission project, I'm sorry, we're not able to do that right now. Right? And so when we give it to the storehouse... Even if it's a particular benevolence within the church. When we give it to the storehouse, we know what we have and we're able to distribute that with wisdom, with integrity, with care. And be able to minister to those needs that are existing within our body or those opportunities that come up before us. And so I hope that's clear. I've got to get to this point. The, the fourth point is this, everybody should give and everybody can give. God has blessed every one of us and everyone can give and that should be the worshipful faith of our life. And the last thing is this, we should give with the faith to believe in the grace of God and the blessing of God. And, and actually, you can choose the size of your blessing. You can actually do that. And I'm going to close with this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I pray this has been helpful to you. I pray that um, it's something that you will be able to just go into the Bible yourself and study. And um, be aware of these things and be spirit led and biblically led in your giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. And I'm just going to close with this. This I say. He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So you can choose the size of your blessing. Do I want a bountiful blessing from God? Or do I want a sparingly blessing from God? It's dependent on how you give. But you can do something. And God will bless you to whatever it is that you give. But every man give as he's purposed in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Isn't that a... Isn't that a now, that's an, op, that's an offer of faith, right? God says He will, and you have the opportunity to believe Him or not believe Him. And so, as, as I finish right now, I just ask you to examine your heart not your checkbook. Examine your heart. Not your checkbook. Examine your worship. Examine your worship of God. Your love for God. Your relationship with God. Where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Examine your heart. Examine your giving. And you might not be in a place where you have the faith to just give 10% and then give offerings beyond. Maybe you don't have the faith for that. But you could ask God to give it to you. And, and maybe you can start somewhere. It might be sparingly, but you can start somewhere. 
I'm going to give something. Maybe you're an Abigail and your husband's a fool and he will not part with his money. Well, what you have, you can give. And God will help you and he might bless your family as a result of that. So, Father, I I just thank you this morning for, first of all, just giving me strength in my voice to minister this word. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that money is not the essential thing, but you are. And you've extended to us the incredible opportunity to be a part of your kingdom, to be able to support the church, and to watch it grow in the earth. And I pray, Father, that you would just minister to our hearts as we take a moment to examine our hearts before you right now. Not our checkbooks, but our hearts and our giving and our worship of you, our relationship with you. Call is going to minister for just a couple of minutes. And just take these couple of minutes to really examine your heart, examine your worship, examine your giving.